0: Talkers, thanks for joining us on today's Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I chat to Masters pool and open water swimmers from around the world. Before I introduce today's guest, I have a special guest host with a report live from pool deck from the Welsh Masters Nationals. Let's hear from FINA Masters world champion Helen Gorman.
1: Hi everyone, it's Helen Gorman here in uh, the UK and Danielle asked me to do a short report from the Swim Wales Masters and Seniors short course event which happened this weekend. Uh, It was the first national championship event of any aquatic discipline that's happened here in Wales so well done to the events team for putting it together and bringing the community together and it was a really fun meet. We had a skins event, Uh, we had 25 metre events, relays and then distances up to 400 so it was really good all on one day. Um, and there were four British records, which was great. Uh, so Nicola latty who's a four time world champion from Guangzhou, she set a new record in the 50 to 54 200 medley. Uh, Simon Veal, also in the 200 medley, 65 to 69 age group. Uh, it's great to see him there. His son, Caelan, uh, just missed a British record by one tenth and his wife, Kate, was swimming. Um, it was great to see her. Uh, David Bryant, he's been smashing all kinds of records in the 60-64 age group. He got the 200 breaststroke um, at the Welsh meet. Um, And then Harry Turner, it's his first Masters event, 22 years old at Swansea Uni, uh, 24-2, absolutely storming swim on the 50 backstroke. Uh, It was really great to see that. And I think those record breakers and the rest of us all did benefit from the new wedge blocks at the pool in Newport. Uh, And having the backstroke ledges there, that's not something that we've seen that much in master swimming over here. So it's really good to see that. Um, The oldest swimmer at the meet was a guy called Garfield Thomas. What a great name uh, in the 80 to 84 age group. He set a Welsh record on the free, and then got in his car, drove to London and the following day did a distance meet. Uh, swam the 1500 and set new records on the 800 and the 1500 so that's that's great well done to him what a what a great little story that he's got the full set of records uh, personally I set some uh, post-covid best times that's definitely a thing um, to feel like you're moving forward um, after getting back into it to be able to set faster times than the previous meet um, for anyone out there that um, that hasn't raced or as just a one meet I promise you when you've done a couple, it does start to feel easier. Um, And certainly my brushstroke felt a lot smoother and with a bit more rhythm. So I'm looking forward to changing age group on the 1st of January. And I'm sure lots of people around the world will be in a similar position of uh, waiting for the 1st of January to be in a new age group. So happy Christmas, everyone. Um, Have a a great rest of the year and uh, maybe catch up in the new year. Thanks, Helen. What a wonderful report and Merry
0: Christmas to you and your family as well. We have some more guest hosts coming up in future episodes, so look out for them in the new year. Today's podcast guest is ultramarathon swimmer, triathlete and book author of Downriver Nomad, Rob Hutchins.
1: There you go, Bob. Hi,
0: Rob. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Now, you're Canadian by birth, but living in New Zealand. How did you make your way to New Zealand?
2: Well, that's a a bit of a story. But, uh, yes, I was born in a town called Cornerbrook, Newfoundland in Canada. That's where I was till I think I was uh, 19. Uh, I eventually moved to Britain to pursue my education, was there for four years. And then I moved to Australia. So uh, I'm an Australian citizen. I moved to yeah I moved to Australia in 2002 yes and I lived there for 15 years Uh, my wife is Australian okay and um, we moved to New Zealand uh, in 2018 quite by accident uh, because a friend of mine offered me a job um, and I was on the phone with him and he, I accidentally agreed to move to a different country before I consulted my Australian wife. Oh. But very, very. Uh, then I, I, I very fortunately uh, she was keen to do it and here we are. So it's been a bit of a nomadic journey.
0: Right. Wow. <laughs> and hence your book, which we'll talk about later. Where, where are you yeah. in New Zealand? Where are you? Um- I,
2: I, I've lived in Christchurch uh, since my time here in 2018. And yeah. I found it a really good place to be both an open water swimmer. You know, it's next to the beach. There's some really beautiful harbors. Lakes yeah. are close by. And uh, being a triathlete and mountain lover, uh, it's a great spot to live.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The South Island of New Zealand is beautiful and just um, yeah. covered with mountain, with picturesque mountains. I've, I've been there many yeah. years ago. But, yeah, beautiful place yeah. To, to base yourself. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yep.
0: So one of your monikers that you go by is obviously um an adventure marathon swimmer, but you started off as a competitive triathlete. Tell us about that journey and how you became a triathlete.
2: Well, um basically, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing triathlons since I was 13. uh started as a swimmer, uh became a triathlete and now I have been a Triathlete who also marathon swims now. I'm more of a marathon swimmer who also does triathlons, right? Uh, and and adventure triathlons. Um, yep. uh, basically, um, I was always uh, growing up. I was always a high energy, very active little kid, but the absolute worst athlete you could ever imagine. Um, I did all the typical sports that are popular in North America, you know, specifically uh, basketball and baseball. Um, I do enjoy most sports like that, but the trouble is I can't catch, throw, hit, or aim at a target in any way, shape, or form. Um, So um, basically I I was a bench warmer on my grade seven basketball team when I was 12. And um, uh, the story is uh, a very brief version is uh, during our final tournament where our team was up by 30 points. I asked my coach, a great big man, and I'm not a big guy, and I certainly was smaller back then you know, could I go out and play for the last two or three minutes? Um, Because I hadn't played a minute all season. And he, in his snarling reply, slobbering over me at the same time, he told me to sit down. So um, uh, I got a little sad about that. And uh, it was about eight or nine months, I think, uh, where I I wasn't active at all, except for weekend downhill skiing, which of course we did in Canada. Uh, I ate a lot of junk food. And then basically when I was 13, I was getting out of the um, shower and I looked at myself after, you know, several uh, long months of eating junk food and not really being that active. I looked in the mirror and I thought, saw my future. My, my dad had had a heart attack about um, three, four years earlier. Wow. And I thought, oh my God, I'm turning into dad. And I just went downstairs. I realized I'd always loved swimming. And I said, mom, I'm wanting to join the swim team. And by that afternoon, she had me registered and I went to my first swim practice, you know, that day. Um, yeah, so, and basically what I, you know, the, how that relates to the basketball thing is what I immediately liked about being a swimmer was that the coach always let you participate. Like, I mean, I trained hard, you know, um, in, in all the sports, but, um, when race time came, you know, there was no, well, you're not very fast, so you can't participate in this. It didn't matter if you won somewhere in the middle or came dead last. And for the first several months I was coming dead last. So... (laughs) um so yeah so and um yeah so i was on the swim team for a number of months and um two triathletes who trained with us caught my attention on the on the pool deck in my in my hometown um despite not being a very big place only about 30 odd thousand people uh the hometown triathlon was kind of a big deal and you know a fairly high number of triathletes in town Yeah, and Uh, this is only 1989. So triathlon at that time was a new sport. And um, um, uh, one of the top ranked triathletes in Canada, his name was Scott LaDrew. He just happened to be training with us. He was from my hometown and he was about maybe 23, 24 at the time when I was 13. And I, I ended up approaching one of the other triathletes in town. His name was Jamie Merrigan. He was 18 or 19 at the time, you know, so As a teenager, five-year difference is, you know, a bigger deal than it is, you know, as a 46-year-old now. Um, But basically, yeah, I went up to him. He was the top junior in town at the time. And I just said to him, hey, look, uh, I want to do a triathlon like you. And um, one of the uh, older kids who uh, might have been 17 or 18, he, you know, overheard my conversation with Jamie. And he came up to Jamie after and he said, you know, who does this guy think he is? You know, he'd never be able to do a triathlon and, and, you know, why would you waste your time helping him out? And Jamie, you know, I just, his response probably helped shape my adult life. You know I mean? Basically he said, well, you know, if he wants to have a go at it, there's no sense in not trying to help him. And, you know, so he very selflessly, you know, I was already swimming with the team. So he very selflessly helped me start to train on a bike and start to run properly. And, um, but after overhearing this kid say, you know, I'd never be able to do it. Who do I think I am? I was standing up, I was standing on the pool deck with hurt feelings for a few moments. And then I just decided I don't really know what the answer is to who do I think I am, but whatever that answer is, I'm going to be a triathlete. And um, so um, my first triathlon a number of months later uh, was a, unmitigated disaster, uh, <laughs> but, b- uh, but great fun. You know, I mean, my first open water swim, uh, was that one K swim. And at that time I didn't know anything about sighting in the open water, you know, it never occurred to me that you probably look up and see where you're going. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I did this triathlon where I probably swam closer to two kilometers rather than the one K swim. I had a 200, I had a $200 bike that, at the time, I thought it was top range triathlon gear. And by the time the run rolled around, you know, I mean, I was just shredded. You know, I mean, I hadn't, I barely even hit puberty and, you know, I was throwing my guts up on my first triathlon, but it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was, it was, it was such a rewarding experience and yeah. kept going. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, obviously, you did, you um, represented Canada by the time you were in your 20s. On the national yep. team. so was that for? And you obviously went to a world championship, was that Olympic distance triathlon, or what was that? Yes,
2: that, that was the Olympic distance. Um, yep. you know, so basically, um, it was the 1997, or it might be 1998, just you know, whatever it was, one of those years, seven or eight years after yep. I started doing triathlons, right. um, you know, I'd, um, I um, qualified for the world championships. Uh, that were that year held in Perth, Australia. And, yeah. um, so that was my first trip to Australia and, um, you know, I, you know, I didn't win the world championships, but you know, the way I looked at it in retrospect is, you know, I went from stumbling through my first triathlon and eventually finished mid pack, um, yeah. and was, uh, fourth or fifth out of the water in the swims. And cause I've always been a stronger swimmer than I was cyclist and runner yes yeah <laughs> so how did, uh how
0: did you go about fitting in obviously you'd come from the swimming background how did you go about fitting into your schedule the running and the riding which you probably had to work on a fair bit
2: yeah i mean uh, basically um <laughs> uh you know when i was in high school you know i was, I was in grade grade nine when i did my first triathlon and uh, know a lot of family problems started happening at home and uh you know my dad was going off the rails with alcoholism and that sort of thing so i more or less gave up you know not always but you know i didn't go out with my high school friends partying and all that sort of thing so i mean i basically you know get up in early morning swim practice and the mornings that we didn't have swim practice i'd be out for a run or a ride or if it was winter if it was winter i'd be in a wind trainer in the um in the basement yeah. um you know cross country skiing in the winter as well when you couldn't ride your bike on the road cuz you know uh, canada's frozen half the year and uh you know I'd often run home from school grab my swim bag run back to the pool um, or ride to the pool whatever worked and you know on the weekends uh I'd be out doing a long distance bike ride or run right. and you know so uh, it it was consuming and you know uh, some would argue maybe took a little too much time, but, you know, we it's hard to be an endurance sport athlete whether you have one sport or three sports to think about uh, without, you know, uh, making a few sacrifices here and there.
0: Yeah. I'm really yeah. interested to know. I mean, I think you, you sort of explained it, but I'm really interested to know what motivated you to to be such a self-starter and to to you know get yourself to training as you said like running home from school getting your bag running back and fitting that in around your schoolwork what sort of motivated you to do that
2: um basically I can trace it back to always want to be an active kid and channel the energy um, and triathlon was a very good you know outlet for a high energy person yes. uh, that sort of thing so, um, when I started writing about my, in, in my book, I realized that, you know, I knew this, but the first strong decision I made as a 13 year old was, I don't want to have a heart attack with my, like my father. So I okay. changed my, changed my diet and then went, uh, you know, full on with swimming. And then a number of months later took up triathlon. And then, yep. um, you know, so a number of years later, when I realized my dad was going off the rails with alcoholism, I made another strong decision. Unfortunately, it sounds, you know, maybe complaining about my dad too much, but I mean, I did make two strong decisions around him. I didn't want to have a heart attack and I didn't want to become an alcoholic. Yeah. So, um, uh, basically I found a lot of sanctuary within endurance sport, particularly swimming. And like, I'm a, like, i like, I love cycling and running probably equally as much, but I'm just better at swimming. Plus mm-hmm. one of the things I love about swimming is you just can't talk to people while you're <laughs> going. Um, so You know, it gave me a lot of time to, you know, explore my thoughts as an introvert. And also, you know, I have a bit of an extrovert personality sometimes, but I like to think I'm probably 70% of the time introvert, 30% extrovert and swimming is just a wonderful way to, you know, tell the world to go away for a while. I mean, here now, particularly marathon swimming, you know, when you get into swimming 10 Ks and longer than that. Yes. Um, You know, some people would say that's boring, but I find that's very meditative for me. Yes. So to come back to your question, what's motivated? I I think I was motivated originally by wanting to, um, you know, put my life in a certain direction. I felt um, that by swimming and doing triathlons, I was taking control. Um, And I realized quite a number of years later that control is an illusion. But that's what it felt like at the time when I was a teenager. I had, was you know, an untenable home situation, where my dad was increasingly abusive, and I felt that, you know, doing what was something I thought was very positive. And you know, arguably every decision I made in life can be traced back to being a swimmer and a triathlete. Yes. Um, you know, I I found that was a very empowering thing. So, yeah. you know, doing the training, I, I never felt on you know, very few days throughout my 30 plus years of doing this, I've never felt. You know i why would i bother you know why train you know i mean i I, i've always wanted to it's just something innately uh, within me always wanted to push the limits yeah and yeah so uh they they were the motivators and then you know i had i developed a good support network around me as well uh like-minded people and you know it led me all over the world
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely what was the first marathon swim that you um competed in
2: or that you well, um, basically, the, the, the summer of 1993, uh, the year yeah. I was 17, uh, I'll just back up one second and remind me if I forget I yeah. um, to answer that question. But about a month before my first marathon swim, maybe three weeks or it might have been four weeks, um, I had the worst fight with my father. Um, he was getting increasingly, you know, uh, threats of violence, but he didn't actually get violent with me until two days before a particular triathlon in Truro, Nova Scotia, uh, yeah. which is Canada. Um, yeah. and you know, that was two days before that race, you know, I had my first physical altercation where I had to actually, you know, knock him out, uh, to defend myself. And I was standing at the water's edge of this particular triathlon, which is Olympic distance, 1500 meter swim, 40 K bike, 10 K run.
1: Yeah.
2: And by this stage, you know, four years of training in, I was coming into my own as an open water swimmer and not a great cyclist never i mean i've always been relatively speaking a mediocre cyclist but when i was at the water's edge that was when i really decided i gotta send my life in one of two directions i can go down the long line of alcoholics that i can come from that i come from or i can yeah. you know put my life in the direction that i want and my mental um thought process in the moments before the gun went off was you know effort I may not stand a chance against these guys on the bike. I was the youngest competitor in this race, right. but for the swim, I'm just leaving everyone behind. And basically that was the first swim that I ever won in a triathlon. Okay. And um, I was just fueled so strongly that day that only the strongest guy in the field, the top ranked triathlete passed me. And I very nearly ran him down. So I won the junior division and came second overall.
0: Right. And,
2: um, and that was just a transformative day Yeah. And fast forward a number of weeks, Um, I was in Lac Saint Jean, Quebec, also in Canada. Um, That was my first marathon swim. Um, A number of months earlier, my swim coach had come to me and said, Hey, you'd look, you know, uh, you you love doing triathlons, keep doing that. You can also be a marathon swimmer, you got the right mindset. And she told me about this particular event. And uh, yeah, so I went to this 16 kilometer swim in Lac Saint Jean, Quebec, and just this is in the days before Google and all that stuff. And, you know, you can imagine the town of 30,000 people in Newfoundland, Canada, the library wasn't stuck with marathon swimming book advice. You know, and all <laughs> <laughs> you know. So my first marathon, my first marathon swim was okay. The strategy is getting the water swim as fast as possible for as long as possible until it's over. Yes. And that's what happened. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I learned a lot during that, uh, that time. Like, you know, I mean, I saw the support boats with the other swimmers, You know, like they'd have a message board saying, right, you know, swimmer coming up on your right or feeding time in five minutes or, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, my, my support boat, they were throwing me drinks and stuff, but there was no structure to it. I mean, I was just free for all just, and, and, you know, I, I, I I actually won that particular race, um, um, you know, 16 kilometers I think it took three hours and I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes. I can't recall exactly, but you know, the better part of four hours, Yes. And, um, that was also a a day when I realized how much I love rough water swimming, um, because the ponds that we swim in and the lakes that we swim in in Newfoundland, you know, there wasn't any wave action and the ocean is too cold in Newfoundland. You don't go in the ocean anytime in Newfoundland. Um, but, um, you know, it was such a big lake and the wind picked up and we had actual surf conditions, um, going on and. That was when I really, really realised how much I love rough water swimming and particularly surf and later rapid swimming.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So that first one that you did, you weren't prepared for it, obviously, with your sort of support crew, but you you came through and uh, won it anyway. So what what (laughs) then did you change before the next one that you did? Like what did you have to?
2: Um, Well, yeah, I mean, basically I just learned, you know, okay, well, know, let's make sure we're feeding at the regular intervals. Like, I mean, my experience in uh, feeding during an endurance sport was all triathlon based at that time. And, you know, you have your own stuff on the bike and on the run, you have the aid stations and this is in the days before hydro packs as well and all that. So, um, you know, so, um, you know, basically in the, in the coming marathon swims that I would do was like, right. You know, if I've got a kayak or I've got a support boat, you know, I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, time to watch for every 45 minutes, make sure you throw me an energy gel or an energy drink or something like that. And, you know, um, you know, make sure that the support boat, you know, knows the, knows the route because, uh, went a little off course that time because the boat led me astray. Um, but, um, you know, and by the, you know, after my first, uh, triathlon, I actually learned how to sight. you know, and swimming in a straight line became a, almost natural talent no, you yeah. know, I could never throw a ball straight but I could swim straight <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but um you know and uh, so all the all the tips like that and then of course you know continued experience with training um you know and uh, doing all my stability exercises to make sure that my shoulders stayed healthy yes. all that stuff uh, sort of to started to evolve you know from there so uh, basically doing marathon swimming alongside triathlon since i was 17 and i'm now yeah. 46.
0: yeah that's just amazing <laughs> yeah. yeah and so in the early days did you, you obviously in newfoundland you did all your training in an um, indoor pool probably
2: in in the winter and you know uh, in i mean what i've always joked about coming from newfoundland and then later moving to australia you know like in in newfoundland we have a couple of seasons we have winter and you know almost winter. And in Australia, we have summer and almost summer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, to, to be fair, you know, like the the swimming season outdoors in Newfoundland in the lakes. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful lakes. Yeah. Um, very very similar to what we have here in New Zealand, except here in New Zealand, the swimming season is longer. Yes.
0: Um,
2: you know, so I would swim in the lakes. You know, in and around my home, uh, and plenty of them. Um, you know, from around June when you know the ice had melted about a month prior you know and you'd be freezing um and, but uh, you know i would still do it anyway and um yeah. there was one time i'd there was one time i did swim around an iceberg that floated into the harbor that wasn't a very wow. smart plan i would wouldn't recommend that and um uh you know we'd swim uh a lot of the, you know a lot of the times we do a multi-sport workout where we'd you know get one of our parents to drive us out to the lake that was outside of town then we'd have the bikes in the back of their car and then you know we'd swim a session and then we'd ride back into town and maybe run as well uh so that's what a lot of our workouts were looked like and well still look like for me actually (laughs) so
0: (laughs) so fast forward a few years and obviously you find yourself in new zealand um and you have taken on a huge huge sort of um epic journey by swimming 256 kilometers down the clutha river Tell yep. us about that. How did you decide that you were going to do that swim? Because I believe no one else has done that before. And what yep. what motivated you to swim so far? That's a huge distance.
2: Well, um, I've I've sort of evolved from being more competitive. I mean, uh, to enjoying more adventures. And I'm not hundred percent sure if that's just because I'm getting a bit older, and you know, um, you know, chasing best times isn't what's what I'm going to be doing anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and the kids don't seem to have any respect for their elders anymore either. So, you know, so, <laughs> um, but, uh, what I, what I found is after, you know, many, many years of competing, um, what I started to enjoy was doing challenging adventures. Yep. Um, and most of my adventures are triathlon related, you know, whether it's a big swim or a big bike ride or a hike or a run. And, uh, at some stage I realized, what I really liked was doing multi-day stuff. Um, and that actually started, came to that realization, actually in Australia, uh, wasn't a swim. I did a four-day ultra marathon across the Penta Trail, um, okay. not too far from Alice Springs. Yep. And I had a lot of fun doing that. I mean, it was basically six, seven, eight-hour days of running um, in the desert. Um, and that was when I was like, yeah, this is, you know, uh, having a you know a good solid day out, then enjoying the camaraderie of a group. It yes. was like, yeah, that lit me up more than trying to chase the best time or, you know, going okay. as hard as I could. Or yeah, so, um, basically after I moved to New Zealand, I, uh, before I thought of river swimming, um, I was, uh, you know, trying to think of where I'd go from here, you know, in terms of where I'd spend my money and all yeah. that sort of thing. And you know, the know, I thought of the ocean seven, but unfortunately the price tag of that's not exactly cheap. Yes. Um. So what I started, it was my wife that actually nudged me in this direction. We were down at a lake called Lake Tekapo, which I later swam just this past February, it's 26 kilometer lake. We were down there in winter. So it was too cold to swim then, but we were standing on the edge of the lake. And my wife said to me, said, Hey, look, you know, if you were to swim across this lake, would you have a worse time than if you spent $10,000 and go across, you know, and you know, swim this big strait that would, you know, set us back financially for a year. And that'd be the only event you could do because the money, yeah. uh, she said, it would cost you a hotel room and you'd buy your support kayak or a pizza. Would you have a worse time? And I was like, geez, you know, she's, she's right. Yeah. You know? And, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, um, later, um, I just came across this particular event that was down in the Fiordlands on um, the Southwest corner of New Zealand in a little town called Tiano. And it was run by this uh, little organization called the Fear Society, which is the Fjordland Endurance um, and Adventure Racing Society. Okay. And one of the, one of their events was a marathon swim that swam uh, several kilometers across Lake Tiano, which is, you know, this beautiful lake. Then okay. it was down the Wyo River. And the Wyo is 22 or 23 kilometers long, I think. Okay. And this is the river that they actually used for the filming in the original Lord of the Rings movie. I can't, I can't remember the, I can't remember the name of the river in the Lord of the Rings movie, but you know, it's beautiful scenery.
1: Yeah.
2: And then the swim exits into Lake Manipuri, which is the entrance to the Fjordlands. And, um, and then we swam across Lake Manipuri for, uh, what was it? 10 or 11 kilometers, I think. So it was a several kilometer lake swim, then a 22 kilometer river swim, then another 10 K in the lake. Or uh, might have been a let I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, when I was coming down this river, I was just like, wow, this is so much fun. Yeah. And um, you know, I looked around New Zealand and a lot of the rivers around here, you know, they're just not deep enough for swimming. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, up to your knees or something like that. Yeah. So I just got in contact with the race director uh shortly after and I said, Hey, you know, like which rivers, you know, are really out there that I can really swim. You know, I'll do this event repeatedly, but what else is there? And he he pointed me in the direction of the Clutha. Right, and he said, you know, um, uh, I hadn't seen the klutha at that stage, and he said, you know, you could probably swim the upper klutha um, yep. in one day, you know, and you know, he didn't really think about doing the full thing because that would take several days. Um, so, I immediately looked on YouTube, and I just basically found a YouTube section of every section of the klutha, and it was definitely, definitely deep enough, you know. I mean, like it's, yeah, it's, okay. yeah, it's but. By- yeah, so the Clutha is, just for context, it's the second longest river in New Zealand, uh, the longest on South Island, yep. but it is by by far the deepest and most powerful current of any river in New Zealand.
1: Nice.
2: Um, so I just emailed the uh, the harbour master in Otago, which is based in Queenstown, just a short distance from Wanaka,
0: yep.
2: uh, where, the, where the Clutha starts, and uh, said, hey, I got this idea, I'm going to swim the full length of the Clutha. Over several days, what do you think? And he emailed back, and he said, he must have thought just some idiot was, you know, some idiot tourist is coming in, and you know, and he said that would be impossible. That his exact words were that would be impossible, and only an idiot would try it. Uh-huh. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm an idiot. I'll go for it. And um wow. you know, it, it it is a big logistical effort. Like I mean, I don't want to make it sound like swimming down a river is just you know jump in the river and see what happens. Yes. Uh, like a like a multi day swimming expedition. Um, you know, it was 10 months of planning it, logistical yeah. safety, getting the support kayakers, training. You know, it, it was a big adventure and like, you know, a big expedition that I first estimated would take six days. Turned out it took four and a half. Um, but um, you know, it it was a it was quite a mission, and that really fit with my newfound love of multi-day adventures uh, that are challenging. And of course, in the you know, triathlon marathon swimming. Uh, it was, it was pretty cool that no one had done it, but I would have done it even if 50 people had done it before. And, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was just an incredible adventure and yeah, um, it was, yeah, the biggest swim of my life and arguably the, uh, most challenging thing I've done.
0: Yeah. Would you do it again?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to. And I have a theory, um, like I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'll do the full Clutha just as a marathon swimming again, I I I'm not going to speculate on that, but, I have a theory that I'd like to do the Clutha river as a triathlon as well. So basically my idea would be like swim a section of the, every section of the Clutha has beautiful cycling and running trails and stuff around it. So I thought, right. I could swim the upper Clutha, then, you know, spend a couple of days, you know, cycling and running in the area, then jump back in the Clutha and then cycle and run. And that would give you another more time to interact with the locals and, uh, you know, see the beautiful scenery that's around there as well. Yes. And I've been and I've been doing other rivers as well, like I swam the Buller and I recently um, or recently swam the Waimakuri River Gorge, which is the gorge they use for the kayak section of New Zealand's coast-to-coast multi-sport race. Wow. So okay. people kayak down there and I decided to be the idiot to swim it. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so on the Clutha swim, um, how many Kiwis per day?
2: Uh, it varied, um, because the, uh, the current strength ranges, cause there's two actual dams on the Clutha as well. Okay. So the upper, the upper Clutha was my first section. Um, yep. and it, it drains out of Lake Wanaka, yep. uh, where the outlet is and it goes into Lake Dunstan and wow. it's 44, 44 K from there. And, uh, that took exactly four hours. And, uh, Mm-hmm. So that was actually where the strongest undertow was, the strongest hairpin bend, and one of the strongest rapids as well. Wow. Um, so, um, uh, yeah. So I mean, we got through the upper Clutha in four hours, and I had lunch by Lake Dunstan yeah. about an hour and a half later. I jumped back in, swam across the fourteen k Lake Dunstan, which is you know not moving. Yes. Um, so that took. Uh, the, that 14 K I think took three hours and 40 odd minutes or so. Right. And that was it for day one. And we stayed yeah. in that area. And the next day we, uh, swam through the Cromwell gorge, which is wow. not moving very fast at all. And there's a dam at the end of the gorge. Yes. So we swam, took five hours to get 26 or 27 K if I remember correctly wow. through the Cromwell gorge. So that was, you know, a big section of day two. Yes. And just for context, after the dam, you know, the current really picks up again. Okay. So I swam tw- I swam twenty seven K in five hours and then I swam twenty seven K in one hour and
0: oh, fifteen wow. minutes or something.
2: Yeah. Wow. So, okay.
0: so, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so it was <laughs> it was a big difference. Yeah. So yeah. uh I, forgive me if I get a few of those distances wrong, but oh, I mean oh, no. uh, you know I'm just go- going off my memory, but yeah, no, I described that's d- fine yeah just described it all in my book but uh yeah. yeah i mean it was it was definitely like you know 27k in one day it was like okay well that took five hours because you know we're in the gorge that's slow moving and then yes. yeah then you just get into this rip-roaring current yeah. um oh. and then uh as we approached alexandra um which was where i finished in on day two alexandra's little town in central otago you know, got out of the Clutha River where there's a bridge and, you know, this, there's a no swimming sign because it's dangerous. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, and I I, uh, I got out of the water and this man was sitting there. He was, you know, there's this little park where we got out of the water. Wow. And uh, he, was, he was there with his kids. And, you know, I just emerged from the Clutha like this <laughs> sea creature. And he was just looking at me like, what the hell? You know, he said, I've lived. I've, and he said, you know, I've, what are you doing? You know, I've lived here all my life. I've never seen anyone come out of there like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i told him you know what i was trying to do and he was like you know you know how how could you possibly do that you know like bell clutha and the mouth of the clutha is like 150k away you can't possibly swim that far and i was like <laughs> we'll see <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what, what what
0: grade of um rapids are we talking about when you said it uh,
2: get, gets up gets up to grade three like um you know the fortunate thing about the clutha is is because it is so wide and Relatively speaking, and you know, deep, you know, I mean, there are rocks to dodge, but I mean, because it's wide, you know, I had one kayaker up ahead, you know, they had VHF radios. One kayaker was with me the whole time, communicating instructions and also feeding me. Right. And uh, you know, so Sam, one of my support kayakers, he'd be radioing his girlfriend Laura, who'd be saying, "Right, go to the, you know, we got a rock coming up, you know, go to the river left or punch straight down the middle, or we got a sharp left turn or a sharp right turn coming up. There's rapids." Okay. And Laura would just, you know, stop and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Be prepared. Follow, yeah. follow me to the letter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how it was. And my wife drove the support van. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she'd meet up with us and she'd be in contact with the kayakers on VHF radio as well. A few spots she'd lost cause of you lose signal, but yeah, that was a bit scary sometimes, but, uh, you know, yeah. um, uh, cause parts of the Clutha are remote, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, a river swim, like I say, it's it's an expedition yeah. where you, yeah. you got to consider all those things, and yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. So, do you have to um, apply for permits for a swim like that, or you said you you, I, met, I, you spoke to the harbour master? But
2: um... yeah, I mean, I I told them my intentions, and you know, I mean, I did basically get written permission in the end when I explained, you know, like there were people who swam, you know other rivers around the world. And, you know, um, you know, the guy, you probably heard of him, Ross Edgley, the fellow who swam the perimeter of Britain. Um, you know, um, I basically, um, you know, referenced these different expeditions that have happened, you know, more or less gave them a swimming resume and a triathlon resume saying, Hey, look, I, you know, I'm not just a going in half cocked here. And I did, a, I did, you know, we did full risk assessments and, you know, I, we spent, hours and hours and hours you know for months you know just going through google earth looking for spots like you know this particular spot you know we might have to get out of the river you know i was okay with it It never happened i never actually needed to exit the river for safety reasons yeah. uh but you know like looks like there's a big rock here might have to say right we'll get out of the river walk around this particular corner yes. you know and i was you know i didn't want to do that but i mean i was like looking at this as this isn't a yeah you know Uh, an ego thing saying, right. I swam every inch of the Clutha. It was let's go down and have a good time and have a challenging adventure. And if you got to get out of the river for 400 meters, well, that's okay. You know, but it didn't, it didn't happen, but uh, it could have. Um, so, um, you know, it was, we did get permission from the Harbor master, both in Otago and a bit further down as well. Um, saying here what we're doing, and I alerted all the jet boat companies. Uh, we didn't have any problems with boating on the river. Like I say, it's a big river, yeah. and um, you know my kayakers were protecting me as well. So yeah. I wouldn't encourage anyone to just jump in a big river and go for it. I, you know, it's a yeah. it's a big it, it's a big logistical effort.
0: <laughs> yes. How often um, do you take on feed um, feed and hydration doing a swim like that? Like what's generally
2: your- speaking. Yeah, generally speaking, like every 45 minutes, but the, th- the difference in river swimming and, you know, swimming in a lake or in the ocean is, you know, the conditions don't always allow you to take a feed right on when you want to, right. uh, because, you know, 45 minutes come up, but we might be going through a surging rapids or fighting a hairpin bend or, you know, dodging rocks or the currents just too fast to take it. So, I mean, there's certainly challenges at various times that are unpredictable, um, you know, and um, so... You know, sometimes an hour and a half would go by just not because I wanted to go that long without food, but just wasn't really safe to say, right, I'm going to stop and yes. take a, you know, cause I mean, it could be, there's just a few occasions where you're like halfway through an energy gel and my kayak could be saying, Oh, we got a rock coming up Better Give that back and start sprinting. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, so the challenges of river swimming like that. And the, and the other one that a lot of people you know, don't really realize, like when i You know, when I told a few people about my intentions, I mean, I always laughed when people would ask me, are you going to go up or down river? And I found that a bit of an ego stroke where some people thought for a moment that I might be strong enough to go up river because, you know, no one could, you know, Michael Phelps couldn't go up the Clutha. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, the thing about river swimming is obviously you're going faster, you know, I mean, than in, you know, current neutral, but because your, your hand and your arm is going against the oncoming current as you're doing your stroke, you yes. know, it's actually harder work doing each yeah. stroke. And of course, you know, in most marathon swims and most marathon anything, the yeah. idea is to try to hold a relatively constant pace. But because you have to sprint around corners, you got to get out of eddies, you got to sprint out of whirlpools, and there's a few giant ones on the Clutha, undertoes pull you under, you yeah. know, going through the rapids. you got to be sprinting a lot. Right. Um, so on a four-and-a-half-day mission of marathon swimming between seven to nine hours each day, Yeah, there were a lot of it's a lot of intervals and just irregularly time. Like sometimes time would go by where you didn't have to do anything, like sprinting, like you know, swimming across some of the current new uh, the current uh, the low current places. But then you got this one, two, three hour section where every several minutes there's a sprint involved. (laughs) So (laughs) that's just
0: insane. Absolutely. How did you recover each day? Like, what did you do when you stopped for that night? Did you have a
2: A lot of the recovery, I think, you know, had a lot of reserves built up over, you know, three decades of endurance sport. And one of the things that I think, you know, I'm very convinced that has kept me going, you know, except for a couple of impacts, I haven't had any injuries since I was 16. Part of that's chiropractic. You know, I'm a chiropractor myself. I came to chiropractic through injuries when I was 16 and that sorted me out. So I thought, yep, I'll be a chiropractor. Um, in addition to that, I'm very, you know, I've been doing, um, yoga and Pilates for quite a long time. I think I took that up when I was 29 okay. in retrospect. I wish in retrospect, I wish I took that up when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, you know, cause, um, I'm very, I've grown very convinced that having postural strength, particularly as, you know, get further and further away from being 21. Um, you know, uh, what I found in my training is that, Um, like just say, for example, during the week, I've got, I've got two hours available for training. I found it's more valuable for me to say, do 90 minutes of cardio, whether it's swimming, cycling or running, and then do 30 odd minutes of yoga. Um, and I haven't found my cardio suffered and my postural strength and recovery is, you know, helped. So after I get out of the river, I do, you know, a, a short yoga routine, like not a full on class, you know, we've got to save the energy, but there'd be a yoga routine. Particularly for my shoulders, but also you know you don't want to you don't want to miss out on your legs and all that sort of thing because your hips can go funny when you're trying to sprint and kick like a mad uh, like a madman when you're you know in the middle of it. So there was that. I'd obviously be eating well, like you know I'm not afraid of having a chocolate now and then, but I do eat you know good recovery foods. Yes. Uh, my wife was uh, was a, was the cook. She fed us and, you know, she spoiled us rotten. And I mean, without her, I mean, none of this would have happened. I mean, you know, I obviously had my kayak supporters who, you know, directly helping me, but my wife was really the unsung hero of this Glutha River expedition because she fed us, she looked after us, you know, I mean, basically after I was, you know, sitting on my camping chair, you know, wherever we were on the riverbank, you know, like, yeah. You know, a, glut- a gluttonous king sitting on his throne being fed. You know, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, uh, you know, it was only a week later. I said, you know, my wife, she wanted to go to this particular music festival, so we said, yep, we'll. During the recovery phase, we went to a music festival that you know she really wanted to go to. So hopefully, yeah. I paid her back. Yeah. So
0: how many sort of k's a week in training did you sort of put in leading up to a swim like that?
2: I, w- I was aiming to get it, you know, during training where there wasn't a another lake or something like I did a lot of other expeditions. Yeah. But um I was aiming to get at least one 10k in a week. Um yeah. and very often, like a month before, I did what I now refer to as self-made adventure triathlons, where I swam the Buller River. Um and the Buller we we swam the lower 42. Uh, you can't swim the upper buller because there's too many rocks, and there's also several waterfalls that land on rocks and wow. you know. People, people might think I'm a little nuts swimming down rivers, but I got sense enough not to go over a waterfall. And <laughs> Probably. So, uh, yeah, so the Boulder River swim, for example, a month out was a seven-hour swim. And, you know, I swam across several of the big lakes that are here as well. And, you know, here in Christchurch, we've got the harbor. So very often, you know, we'd be doing a 10K or a little bit more than that every week. Uh during the week, you know, generally speaking, I've got two hours available most days during the week, you know, for training. So whether it's in the pool or, you know, nip over to the uh, to the to the sea or to the um to the harbor, be doing that. Plus, you know, my cycling and running. Yes. Um, and when I do my mountain runs, like you know, I do alpine running and trekking, I use poles as a cross mm-hmm. trainer for marathon swimming. Cause yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm a marathon swimming purist uh, cause I don't want to miss out on time in the mountains. Cause I love mountains equally as yeah. much as the water. So using poles during my mountain runs, particularly going up Hills. And there's lots of big ones in New Zealand. Um, you know, I found that to be really good cross trainer. Plus when I run, I often do or ride my bike. I'll do sets of 20, 30 or 40 push push-ups every half an hour to get the upper body while still getting the cardio in. Yeah. Um, so, you know. My regular pool swims are between four and five, maybe six kilometers sometimes, depending on the time available. And my open water swims are generally two, three, sometimes four hours of training. Yep. And then, um, you know, and to make sure that I keep life in balance, like my wife's very active. She, we do yoga together. We cycle tour and we, um, what we now call tramping, but back in the, before we moved to New Zealand, it was called trekking. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, so a marathon swim, for example, training morning, you know, or I might swim for two or three hours, you know, get out, have lunch, and then my wife and I are off hiking. So okay. getting some good cardio in that way and also spending quality time with her at the same time.
0: Yeah, that sounds like an yeah. ideal life.
2: I love it. <laughs> well, good. it's not without challenges. I mean, and, you know, sometimes the internet personality and the internet impression that you give people can be a little different. I don't post anything on social media that isn't swimming, cycling or running, but you know, I have I have a job full time, and you know, yeah. now and again stress happens. But um, you know, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have married both a you know wonderful woman who supports these crazy ideas, and you know, every which way she can, she's involved in them. And I like to think I support her and her crazy ideas as well. Yeah. So you know, generally speaking, yeah, I'm, I'm very content with the way things have turned out. So yeah, all oh,
0: that's probably yeah. <laughs> that's <lovely. laughs> And I'm yeah.
2: interested
0: mean, to sort of explore your mindset before a huge swim like that. Um, do you have any sort of routines that you go through? What do you, what's your sort of self-talk while you're doing a, a big marathon swim?
2: Um, honestly, like I I I do a lot of self-talk, you know, more on the bike and on the run than I do in the swim. Right. Um, I mentioned I do yoga and theoretically, I'd love to be able to meditate, you know, in the traditional sense, you know, you sit under a tree or looking at a candle or something like that, where and your mind just goes quiet. Yeah. I love that idea. And I, you know, if, if people are able to achieve that, I'd recommend it. But I found that if I'm sitting down doing nothing, my mind will just go to something ridiculous, like, you know, what did Homer Simpson do on this particular Simpsons episode, or, you know, remember when Darth Vader announced that he was Luke's father or, you know, something crazy, just my mind will do that what I found with swimming most of the time is that I can get into quite a meditative state where I'm almost not thinking at all. And that's my flow state. So I wouldn't say I'm a Buddhist monk swimming, but I do think that that's what traditional meditation must be like if you're doing it right. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like that happens every session. It doesn't, Yes. Um, you know, and when things go wrong, you know, like in a marathon, swim, when you start hurting or something like that, um, you know, uh, I, I, just think about my next stroke, you know, like I don't, th- I, if you do up, do your sighting, like for example, when I was swimming across Lake Tekapo, uh, 26 kilometers, and then the headwind came in, you know, it was, it was, I had a tailwind for the first three hours or so. Right. And an unforecast, the wind unforecasted changed to a headwind, and I was three hours into what I thought might be a seven-hour swim. But thanks to the headwind, it was nine and a half. Right. You know, so when I realized, you know, fighting a headwind it was like okay, you know, there's some positive mantras that I I like to think about. Um, this is relevant to the river in particular, but um, there's a particular song called "The River" that was popular when I was a teenager by Gareth Brooks. Uh, you know, um, and the what I like to think is a life mantra for me is the particular line in that song: "Don't you sit up on the shoreline and say you're satisfied? Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide." Okay. And that's something I I often and you know I mean that was my favorite song when I was I think it was popular when I was 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it was popular in Australia or New Zealand, but it was in North America. Yeah. You know, and, um, um, you know, that's something I on the last day of the Klutha in particular, I found myself singing my favorite song in my head. And, you know, um, and like everyone else, you know, sometimes your mind goes into a dark place, even swimming for me. Sometimes your mind can go into a dark place. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, I found both in Ironman triathlon, marathon swimming. And, you know, when I later wrote the book, you have really all these high moments where you're on a you know an emotional high and then you just have moments where you're like, you know, no one's making me do this. You know, why am I doing this? Wow, you, know, you, know, like, you know, no one's paying me. No one's making me do this. You know, like, you know, so your mind does go there, but i am generally speaking, in you know, most endurance sport, able to pull the mind out. And I think it's because
0: yeah.
2: you know endurance sport teaches you resilience. And I've had a few challenges in life where, you know, no fun going through them at the time. But you know yeah. I, th- I think when you face some kind of adversity, sometimes early on, you know, it can have a negative effect. But, you know, I, I just think uh, facing adversity, both forced on you and self imposed, can help you not only get through, you know, the hard bits of any endurance event, but also in, you know, those storms that are going to happen in life as well
0: yeah absolutely um, I know we've, you've mentioned a few times about the book that you wrote and for um, all the listeners we'll put that um, the link to that in the show notes it's called downriver Nomad how did that all come about what made you decide to write about your swimming journey
2: well um, I've always wanted to write a book like I mean basically as I got more into this you know having writ- writing a book, sort of went on the life to do list that always kind of got put on the back burner a bunch of times and I was a creative little kid like I was always drawing pictures cartoons and I was always writing short stories when I was a little kid really liked it and then I realized at some point you know through adulthood you know lost touch with the creative side you know life got busy you know big time commitment with endurance sport and work and a lot of other stuff so at some point I realized you know I've kind of lost touch of that creative side that I've always wanted to nurture as well So, um, the first obstacle I had a number of years back to writing a book was, you know, who's going to write a, who's going to read a book about little old me, you know, it seemed like a bit of an egomaniac thing, you know, like, you know, I, I often read adventure biographies and biographies of elite athletes, you know, like, you know, ultra marathon man, Dean Karnazes, he was an inspiration and, um, you know, and there was you know finding ultra by Rich Roll, and then you know I've uh, read Des Renford's the you know the Australian marathon swimmer's autobiography and all that. Yes. Uh,
0: you
2: yes. know, pretty much you name the book, I've probably read it if it's in that genre. Yes. Um, so uh, basically, um, I you know I when I finished the Clutha, I thought you know a couple of days later I was like, geez, I, that's a pretty cool conclusion to a book yeah. you know i mean it um you know i've never won an olympic gold medal but you know i'm the uh, only person to do this and i had an epic time and yeah. um i think it's a story worth telling and uh and then scarcely a month after i finished the klutha this is february 2020 when i did the klutha you know i mean uh you know the pandemic hit and yeah. you know new zealand had one of the strictest lockdowns in the world and on day two when you really take on board it's like okay they're not messing around this is a thing you know yeah. um, um you know I said okay well I could either be you know I don't know how long this is going to go on for um you know I can either be a Netflix junkie you know or I can uh, put my time to the use of something I've always wanted to do and uh, you know we had we were allowed to go out cycling and running we weren't allowed to swim either in a pool or in the ocean in the New Zealand lockdown so um i'd ride my bike two three hours a day or run and do a yoga routine right. and then uh, the rest of the time i uh, was writing writing a book and also coming back to my wife i mean she published her first book about a year and a half prior and that was an inspiration watching her do that yeah and then she's since um made a career move to become a writer you know part of the time as well and right. you know she um has since just yesterday actually published her first children's book and that's a long line. And, um, she's also written two novels. One is going to be published next year. She's but even before that got published because publishing I've learned is a slow business. Um, you know, uh, she got her second novel and she's actually now working on her third. Um, so I gotta, you know, I mean, I've always wanted to write a book and that was in my mind before I even met her, but seeing her do it and pushing through it and, I'd like in writing a book to endurance sport, you know, uh, to marathon swimming. And as I said, you know, there's times when you think, Oh, this is great fun. I'm loving doing this, but you know, you get to the late editing stages and stuff like that. And you think, why am I doing this? You know, know, (laughs) (laughs) no one's making me do this, but you know, you push through, you learn to push through it. And, you know, the other question I asked myself, you know, on day two of the lockdown was right. If, if I'm going to do this, if I know for a fact, that I'm not going to make money off of writing a book, would I still want to?
0: Yes.
2: And, you know, the answer was yes. And I said, right, the goal is to have seven people not name my mom read it. And (laughs) uh, so, and the other, the second goal after that was to earn enough money to buy a new wetsuit off the book. And well, you know, I've done that. And then some, so, you know, um, the feedback that I've gotten from my book, you know, people have reached out to me, some who I know directly, some who connected through social media, the endurance sport groups and, uh, they told me they've enjoyed the story so uh, yeah. you know so I, I, I'm very happy with the book and yeah. um it turned out you know just the way I wanted it, so I'm I'm yeah. very happy with it
0: well i'm sure a lot of people listening will um will follow up and and read the book because it's a great a great swimming journey it's fantastic i wanted to finish up um just asking you Five fast facts about yourself before we wind up. For the okay, session. so okay. answer sort of like one or one or two words, or if you want to go longer than that, that's fine. It's just a bit of a fun thing to finish off with. So I just call it yeah. fast, fast five. Favorite yeah. favorite place to swim?
2: Uh, got to be the Clutha River.
0: <laughs> ah, fantastic. <laughs> yep.
2: We're, we're not doing that. Uh, we're not doing that. I love surf swimming at the beach.
0: No. Okay. <laughs> what's yeah. your mm-hmm. What's your local surf beach?
2: Is that used uh, There's a long beach in Christchurch, uh, different sections from New Brighton to uh, what's called Sumner, just about 10 minutes from where I live. Right.
0: Okay. Favourite yep. pre-swim meal?
2: Um, I love chia seed pudding, like if I'm swimming in the morning. Yes. Um, chia seed pudding, you know, with sliced fruit across it. Uh, I just find that stuff filling. It's, it's energy-providing. It's like rocket fuel. And if my, if my swim is scheduled for after lunch, you know, like if I've got the afternoon off or something like that, I will generally eat a rice stir fry of some kind, you know, with vegetables and something quite light, like nothing very heavy.
0: Yes.
2: Um, and the worst thing you can eat before swimming, despite my love of pasta, I never have pasta before a swim anymore. Cause it just doesn't sit right in the guts. So yeah. I'll do it yeah. the night. Yeah. <laughs> not for, for me. It doesn't anyway, it, especially if there's tomato sauce. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> favourite wetsuit brand? Um, I was uh, lucky enough to be sponsored by Blue 70. Um, the Helix, I found that to be my favourite wetsuit that I've ever worn. I've uh, worn different brands over the years, but uh, the Helix has awesome shoulder flexibility and uh, just my body shape that seems to be, you know, that fits me perfectly. Yep. Um, you know, so um, I found the blue seventy helix is definitely my favorite suit.
0: Yep, and thermal cap or no thermal cap
2: depends on the water temperature. Uh, when I swam across, I was I was the first person in today after Boxing Day last year to swim across Lake Coleridge, which is an elevated mountain lake. Right. Uh, there was um, it was sixteen kilometers, I think, and it wouldn't have been possible at that time. You know, basically we started. The frost was still on the ground and the mountains that surround it had snow on them. Wow. It would not have been would not have been possible without a thermal cap. And I wore booties yeah. for that one as well.
0: Yes.
2: Um, so you know, there's some kind of back and forth talk in the open water swimming community. Sometimes it gets toxic. Yeah. My recommendation is if wearing a suit or a thermal cap, gloves, booties, if it makes your swim more enjoyable, just do it. Yes. And I tend to cover myself up either with a wetsuit or with a triathlon suit, long sleeve, because I'm a fair-skinned, freckled redhead from Canada. And I live in the Southern Hemisphere. My sun-repelling genetics just are the worst possible sun-repelling genetics in the world. So I do have to cover myself up to be an open-water swimmer, and I'm okay with that.
0: So. <laughs> I <knew you. laughs> my Funniest swim moment?
2: I lost a fight to a turtle. Um, <laughs> I can't tell. Us about that. <laughs> um, it was a. It was just in Australia. I uh, was doing a just an adventure swim on my own. Um, I was swimming along the length of the beach, um, and I was hammering. I was by myself. You know, just I don't know, I don't know how far offshore, maybe less than fifty meters offshore, and I was just going along the length of the beach. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was hammering. I was going for all I was worth, um, and it was it was meant to be about a twenty k swim. Yes. Um, maybe 13, 14 K in, um, I was literally thinking, yeah, I'd started that swim. I was having a few frustrations in my life at that time. Yeah. And I was, I was upset and, you know, uh, about different circumstances going into the swim, but it set my mind. Right. And I literally had the thought, you know, sky's blue, water's really blue, beautiful fish swimming around me. The birds are chirping, really le- leading a charmed life here and I slammed into a very large sea turtle and just uh, actually dislocated my shoulder. Oh, wow.
0: Um,
2: yeah, so uh, for a moment, I thought I'd hit a shark and started to sprint away from it and fully dislocated my shoulder after I'd hit it. Oh, no! And then I'd, I basically rolled on my back to uh, basically kick at what I thought was a shark coming at me, I was yes. uh, looking at this big turtle, and I was like, oh, jeez, I just lost the fight to a turtle that wasn't even a ninja. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did the turtle
2: follow <laughs> you after it hit you? Did It It, it didn't. It, it didn't okay. follow me. I, I just had to get myself back into shore. I dislocated my shoulder on the back of a turtle. Yes. And, uh, you know, I mean, it basically popped back in and then, but getting through the surf back to the beach was Ooh. quite a painful experience. Okay. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, then I'm standing there and my wetsuit is suddenly burning, you know, it was suddenly burning up because you know, <laughs> yeah. wetsuit on the beach in Australia, get pretty hot in a hurry. So That's right. it, was, it, it it's really funny in retrospect, was not funny at the time. <laughs> the time. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been lovely hearing about your swimming journey and um, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
2: Oh. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, my book is just called Down River Nomad. And the subtitle is An Ad- A Triathlete's Adventures and in Adversities into the Rapids. Yep. So if your listeners are uh, keen, I really hope you might enjoy my book. And there's also a YouTube documentary. It's homemade. If you go on okay. YouTube and search, search Clutha River Swim, it's a 53-minute homemade documentary yep. of the Clutha River Swim.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I'm sure a lot of people will look it up. Okay.
2: Yep. <laughs> thank Take you so it. much.
0: Okay, then. Bye.
2: Bye. Thank you, Bob.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to bringing you some great guests over this season. We love hearing from you, so please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or directly onto our Facebook page at Torpedo Swim Talk Podcast. Tell us what you like. Tell us who you would like to hear. We love hearing all your feedback. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Till next week, happy swimming and bye for now.